You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. In case you don't know, our children are learning about missions. They're tackling a different country or nation every, uh, every Sunday learning a little bit about the language, maybe the, the food, the culture, and how the missionaries are serving in that nation and some of the ways we can pray for our missionaries. So it keeps our, our kids not just focused on their own lives, but focused on something that they're part of that's bigger than just their own life. It's very exciting, and they usually get to eat some tasty food so um, that's uh, specific to that nation. Um, and they'll try just about anything that's good because some things look a little questionable to my taste buds, but last week they tried something that, I don't know, it was like pasta and milk mixed together in a gelatinous form with cranberries in it, uh, but evidently they liked it, so we'll roll with it. Um, if you are following along in your Bibles, um, for me it's page 813, for you I don't know, it's Matthew chapter 9, the very beginning of Matthew chapter 9. If you um, have your Matthew book, if you have one of these, uh, then uh, it's page, you know, not 42, but... 44, thank you, and uh, you can follow along, take notes, and uh, doodle and whatever you do on that, that way you can uh, have notes to take home with you. Um, To begin this story, um, I just want to briefly review kind of where we were the past two weeks. Jody preached an excellent message about two weeks ago, uh, the calming of the seas and so forth, and Last week, we talked a little bit about Jesus um, meeting uh, two demon-possessed men, and then he got back on the boat, and it's all on this boat journey. So Jesus was on a boat, he did some things, and there was a storm, and then he got off the boat, and he met the demons, and he got back on the boat, and now he's off the boat again, okay? So this kind of follows the, the journey that Jesus was on as he was on this boat, and now he's landed, okay? And it's going to pick up the story with kind of a a third-time echo, a similar situation, slightly different circumstances. And yet again, Jesus is going to prove to the world around him that he is king because we've looked at him being king over disasters and the storms in our life. We've looked about him being king over disease and how he heals physically people. And he's king over demons and the forces of evil. And so we recognize that those things are under his authority. And today we're going to look that he is the king over our sinful lives, that he has the ability to speak into our sinful life and to call us to something greater this morning. So as we, uh, as we dive in, let me just pray for the reading of the word and the telling of the story, and then we will uh, we'll get right to it. Lord, this is your word. Um, it's not your word for just 50 years ago. It wasn't your word just for the folks who heard it for the first time. It's alive and active. Which means today as we read your word, as we study what you would have to say to us, Lord, you have something to say to us. We can't come and hear it and remain unchanged. Today we're being confronted with you and your will for our life and how much you love us. Today I pray as we look at your word, you speak to us. Each one of us in the very way that you speak to our hearts. um, That you teach us something about yourself and your love for us. The ways in which we're living towards you and other people. That when we hear your word, we might rejoice in the ways in which you love us and mourn over the sin that's gotten entangled us up in our lives. I pray that you'd convict us of sin today, 
that you'd encourage us to love other people. And more than anything, Father, that you'd fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit, refreshed and renewed. And that when we leave this place, we might just be a little more filled with joy than we were when we came in. We might be a little more at peace than we were when we came in. We might have a little more confidence in who you are and our lives in you than when we came in. Lord, we humbly submit ourselves to your word this morning. We recognize its life. Breathe on us this morning as we study it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so I want to tell you a story. It's the story found in um, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Oh, I failed to mention. Um, I, again, as I was studying, I redid this. So your notes might say Matthew chapter 9, 1 through 17 or 13. Scratch that out. It's 1 through 8. We'll pick up the other ones next week. Um, and uh, we're just doing 1 through 8 today. Um, so let me tell you the story of Matthew chapter 9, 1 through 8. He was in the boat, and he'd crossed over from the region of the Gadarenes, which we talked about last week, where he met the two demon-possessed men in a tomb, which was neither where a rabbi should be um, nor a good Jew should be. Um, he was in Gentile territory in a, in, a, in a burial location, just no, 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 according to their culture. But he went there and did some great things. And then he went back in the boat, and he came over to his own city. Um, so he was in the region of Capernaum, okay? Um, and if you, I love the book of Matthew, but um, sometimes he leaves me wanting a little more. Gospel of Matthew's account, Luke and, uh, and Mark, okay? So I'm going to fill in some gaps from Luke and Mark because I think it adds some depth. Luke and Mark both have perspectives um, and details that just add some stuff to the story that we need to understand. So we're kind of going to get the, the three gospel perspective of this story today because I think it's going to help us understand what's going on here. So here we go. Jesus had gotten out of the boat and he went to his own hometown, the region of Capernaum. Now he'd been there a couple days and because of who he was and what he had been doing in the regions, people started coming to him. So where he was, people were flocking in great numbers. So this home that he was staying in, whether it was his home or Peter's home, it's kind of some debate, he was in a home, okay? Um, that it become to be so filled with people that they were standing like this because they all wanted to be near Jesus and hear Jesus, and it was a game of sardines on an epic scale in the early New Testament church. Um, so we've got this group of people that are crunched into a house. They're outside the house. They're blocking all the doors and the entrances. And they have come from the villages of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. So they've just not come from this city, but they've come from the outlying territories, the regions nearby, because where Jesus was, the people wanted to be. They wanted to see this miracle worker, the one who healed people and calmed the seas and all this kind of great stuff. They wanted to see it with their own eye. So here's this great crowd, and and, um, and that's what Luke says, that they are from Judea and Jerusalem and Galilee, and they're all coming to be present to see him perform miracles. Now, Mark tells us that there were so many of them that there was no room anywhere near the house. It was just crowded. I mean, imagine, okay, if I go to my house, and I'm such a great preacher, okay, that everyone from... Ketchikan, Saxman, Prince of Wales, Metlakatla, Sitka, Juno, um, they come and they try and hear me in my house. It's going to be crowded. They're going to be in the parking lot. We're going to have to get a PA system, okay? 
Now, that's kind of the image here. The surrounding areas have come in. There's so many people. It's not just one person. It's peoples, flocks of peoples have come. So you got this idea of this tiny house from the ancient areas of the day. And then this cities of people have come to see Jesus. And, um, and then we jump into Matthew's portion because he misses all that important detail about how many people came to see Jesus. And, um, and so we get to Matthew's portion. And you get this idea that there's some friends that bring to Jesus a man who's paralyzed. He's laying on a bed. Now, Mark tells us that it's four friends. Um, and, uh, and so we know that this man is paralyzed. He can't move. Um, some, of the, some of the language would imply that perhaps his whole body was paralyzed. It wasn't just his legs, but that from the neck down, he was completely immobile. The idea is that this man could not move on his own, completely immobile. So they had him on this bedroll. Um, imagine the most uncomfortable $10 uh, camping bedroll that you could get, okay? Um, thin, or great, kind of flexible. And so they put somehow strings underneath it. I got a, there, there's a picture, okay? Um, okay? And his friends decided to carry him to see Jesus because they knew about Jesus too, right? He was the man that performed miracles. He was the one that healed people. They had heard the stories of Jesus' miraculous healings, and they said, our paralyzed friend needs some of that. So we're going to take him because he can't go on his own. It's not like we can say, hey, we'll see you there, Joe. Uh, We'll see you at Jesus' house. Good luck getting there. Take the bus. And Joe's laying on the ground going, I can't get there. I'm paralyzed, man. So um, they, being good friends, picked him up and they carried him. But as we learn from Luke and Mark, there are so many people that they can't get his friend to the front door. Well, they had a couple options. They could have go, well, it's too bad Joe. I named him Joe, by the way. I don't know what his name is, okay? Um, too bad, Joe. We can't get in to see Jesus today. Guess we'll have to wait till he comes by again. Maybe we'll see him next year when he circles through, or maybe we'll catch him when he's leaving. You know, tough luck. We'll take you back home. They could have said that, but they didn't. Um, what they did was they probably stood back from the crowds. They set Joe down on the ground, and they looked, and they saw all the crowds, and they heard the commotion. They thought, well, hmm, one of them was probably a thinker. One of them was probably the guy that's got the crazy ideas, that's, um, I had a friend in college, his name was Lawson, maybe I shouldn't have named him, I don't know, oh well, um, and uh, he did all kinds of crazy things in our dorm room, he got a styrofoam airplane and some kerosene and a match, and I'll let you figure out what he did, and, um, and needless to say, we had some experiences in life, because he was just the guy that was like, hey, that looks fun, let's do it, and there he was just done, and before consequences could be thought of, We had a lot of fun. So I think that there might have been one of these guys among the four friends. Because as they're standing back there and they're going, well, Jesus is in there and our friend needs Jesus. And it's really crowded and we can't really push our way through. Let's take the roof off the building. I mean, it's an out-of-the-box thought. So they're like, okay, that sounds great. So I don't really know logistically how this worked, okay? They somehow, through the crowds, maybe a couple of them crowd surfed and they got up on the roof. And they started ripping roof tiles off the roof of someone else's house and tearing through the thatched roof and the the wooden structures. And then someone, hey, we got a hole in the roof, bring them over. And so imagine you're in the back of the crowd and someone's like passing a paralyzed man over you. And so you just, you know, you're crowd surfing him and he gets to the roof and then they got these ropes or whatever they do and they lower him down, scripture says, 
at the feet of Jesus. Because that's the most direct route. Getting through the crowd, really difficult. The most logical thing for them to do to get to Jesus, take the roof off the house. No holes barred. We're just going to get this guy to Jesus. He's paralyzed. Jesus fixes paralyzed people. We're going to go through the roof. Nothing's stopping us. They didn't have a cannon. They didn't want to hurt people. So they just said, we're to go up and over and down. We're going to bypass. We're going to cut in line. We're going to say, nothing is stopping us. We must get this man to the feet of Jesus ASAP. There's no waiting. Must happen today. So um, he gets, uh, it says in Luke and, and, and Mark, they found no way to bring him in through the crowd. So they went up on the roof and they let him down through the tiles um, at the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, he saw the faith of the friends and then he spoke to the paralyzed man. Because remember, where are the friends? On the roof, right? So um, he saw their faith. And probably chuckled. I just got to imagine that's probably, you know, the things you see in ministry, Jesus is like, they, they broke through the roof. Okay. So um, he says, I've seen a lot of things that just heal demons, and now people are breaking through the roof. Okay, so he saw the faith of the friends, and then he didn't speak to them. He spoke to the paralyzed man, and he said, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, I imagine it got really quiet at that point for a variety of reasons, one of which we know because Scripture tells us immediately following But one that scripture doesn't tell us is, can you imagine you have just carried your paralyzed friend laboriously over what great distance we don't know, crowd surfed him over people, tore through the roof of a building, dropped him down at the feet of Jesus so that he could walk out on his own because like he's paralyzed and you don't want to have to take that one back out. Okay. And Jesus sees your faith and says, your sins are forgiven. I imagine someone up there is like, what? Heal him. We're here for something different. Heal the man's physical body. I imagine there was a little question going on in their minds because that's not exactly what they expected to hear. I imagine the paralyzed man was thinking, oh, I'm I'm happy for that, but um, I can't even clap because I'm paralyzed. So can you help me out here, Jesus? There was probably some of that going on. But then scripture tells us this. Some of the scribes my children's, not my children's Bible, okay, I read, I read this. I also read the children's Bible, but um, my daughter's children's Bible calls the scribes the extra super holy important people. Um, because, and I think that's a really good name because they prided themselves on being extra super holy important people who thought they knew better and had some sort of connection with God because they could keep the rules and they understood and they were right all the time. They would rub that in people's faces. Um, And so the extra special super holy people, the scribes who studied the word of God and, and understood God, they said to themselves, this man is a blasphemer. He, oh, no, no, no. That's what they did to Jesus. No, you can't, you can't say what you said. Forgive sins. But Jesus knew their thoughts, because he's God. And he said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk? That's a trick question, because Jesus is smart, and he likes to mess with the extra super special holy people. Um, And so he says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and walk? Technically, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because who can question that? You don't know, right? We can't judge the heart. So just about anyone can say, your sins are forgiven. And someone might go, hallelujah. And you see false preachers all over the the world that 
claim things that aren't exactly true because it's really easy to say words without proof to back it up. But Jesus says, which is easier? Huh? Forgive sins, say they're forgiven, or heal a man. And before the scribes could say anything, Scripture actually does this. Um, in your Bibles, you might have this referenced in this way. Um, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And then I have a little hash mark, like a little line. It's because he cuts himself off. It's like, I don't even need to finish this sentence. You know where I'm going. You know, I don't have to finish this. This was a, um, a way of um, legally arguing back in, in um, this day in which they would say, which is easier, such or such? And so that you may know this is easier, I will then show you. Well, it was such a common form of argument, he didn't even have to finish the sentence. Which is easier, say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. So that you may know I can forgive sins, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. And then he, um, according to uh, Luke and Mark, he gets up and praises God on his way out the door. And this time, the, the water of people part. Man picks up his bedroll, walks out the door praising God. Um, well, case in point for Jesus, right? Evidently, he can forgive sins because which is easier? So the scribes there are kind of slack-jawed. He tells the man to pick up his bedroll and go home. And Matthew closes with this. When the crowd saw this, um, the whole, probably the whole spiel, the man coming through the roof, um, the, the conversation which is easier, um, the man getting up, walking out, praising God. When the crowd saw all of this, they were awestruck, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, um, there's so much awesomeness in this story, and there's so many ways to talk about this story, and I prayed about this, and I wanted to know where God wanted me to take this, and it wasn't until this morning that he kind of kind of put the super glue together for me here. Um, so this is a story um, that talks about healing, now, most people read this and go, he healed a paralytic man, case in point for Jesus, great story about God's miraculous healing, but the reality is, this story isn't necessarily or really even about the healing of the paralyzed man. This is a story about Jesus' authority to forgive sins. Now, he uses the paralytic man kind of as a vehicle by which he gets to providentially show the authority that he has to speak into our sinful lives and forgive us of our sins. Um, this story, while a healing occurs, is not a healing story. It's an authority of Jesus to forgive sins kind of story. Um, so uh, it's a story about Jesus' authority to forgive and the various responses that people will have to Jesus' authority. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk through the characters in this story, and we're going to see what their responses were to Jesus' authority. And perhaps this morning you might find yourself relating to one or two of these types of people, and in which case then we can work uh, to, to see who we relate with and how we might need to talk with God this morning. So there's a couple players in this story. Um, the first and foremost... It's the paralyzed man, right? Because it's the, according to my scripture, the story of the healing of the paralytic man. So according to the heading on my notes, this is a story about a paralyzed man. Um, paralyzed man who could not, on his own power, get up and go to Jesus. Maybe he wanted to. Maybe he didn't. Maybe poor guy had no intention of going to see Jesus. 
He didn't love Jesus. He didn't like Jesus. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But he, he had no choice because he was paralyzed. <laughs> so that just makes me laugh. Um, maybe he wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't get there because he was paralyzed uh, physically. Um, you know, I think that sometimes in our lives we might relate with the paralyzed man because we want we want relationship with Jesus. We want to see what's going on. We want to be healed. We need that thing in our life, but we're a little bit paralyzed. We've had a bad experience in church, and so we don't, hmm, I want relationship with Jesus, but I don't, I, I am hesitant to go. Or um, maybe you've never had an experience with Jesus, and you, you're just not quite sure what he might be all about. Maybe you go, but you just can't seem to get near to him. There's just too much in your life or in your mind, or you pray, and it still breaks my heart. This little boy at kids' camp came up to me one day and said, how do, I, how do I know I hear God's voice? How do I know what it sounds like when he talks to me? So we had that conversation, and you could tell he, this seven- or eight-year-old boy, really wanted to know that God was with him and talking to him and communicating and loved him and cared for him. Um, it, was just, you could, it was just this facial expression that was very clear. And so we talked and we prayed and he came back the next day and fallen face he says, I prayed and prayed and I couldn't hear God's voice. And, and sometimes our life is like that. We're paralyzed in the sense that we just can't hear God's voice and we want to, but for some reason we're, we just can't hear it. We filled our lives with other things that maybe talk louder than God's voice at times or we've done this because we've got sin and we're la, 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 la. I still want to do my sin but I want to hear from God as well. It doesn't necessarily always work like that. Sometimes we just can't seem to break through. You know, it could be laziness or sin or doubt or pride or fear of change, um, lack of knowledge. But we might be paralyzed in some way, shape, or form, and that prohibits our getting to Jesus. Now, then there's the friends, right? Oh, I, ooh, I forgot to animate that correctly. There you go. Friends, scribes, and crowd. Giving my story away this morning. We've got the friends. The friends in this story saw a need. Whether or not the man recognized his need, we don't know. But they saw a need, and they said, we're going to help this man. Whether or not he wants it, again, we don't know, but we're going to carry him to Jesus. And if he wants it, this is fantastic. If he doesn't, he's going to get Jesus anyway. Um, and so they were, they were good friends. They, um, they gave some help when a friend needed it. When, his, when their friend couldn't get to Jesus on his own, they picked him up and carried him. Now, this might be something like, um, you know people who don't believe in Jesus, and so you beg, plead, drive them to church. You do whatever you can because you want them to experience Jesus. You want them to see fellowship among believers. You want them to just get loved on and have a good time and say, hey, maybe this whole life with Jesus isn't what I thought it was. So you do whatever you can to bring them through the doors of the church or your house or your small group or just coffee with them, whatever it takes, right? But maybe good friends also bring other believers to Jesus because sometimes we all come to this church and we're all believers. We've talked about this a little bit in the past. Um, and then we stop bringing our brothers and sisters to Jesus. 
But we need to continually be good friends to one another in the church as well. It's not just that we reach out to the lost and we bring them in. But within our community of fellowship and friendship and accountability, we need to be able to say, hey, I can, I can see that you're suffering with something. Can I pray with you? Let me pray with you. And in doing so, you and them are bringing a need to Jesus because maybe they got entrapped in a sin and they still love God and they're a Christian, but they're struggling with something. Or maybe they've got a marriage that's falling apart or their job isn't doing well or all these things that go on in life. And it still needs to come before Jesus because those kinds of circumstances can paralyze us. And we need friends that can say, hey, I see what's going on in your life. Let me help you out. Let's come to Jesus. It's not like a come to Jesus moment, you know, but it's, it's can I pray with you and let's lay this at the feet of Jesus like they laid the paralyzed man at the feet of Jesus and let's let Jesus do with this as he will. And sometimes as believers, we need the encouragement and accountability of friends to sometimes gently and sometimes not so gently um, grab us by the arms and take us where we can't go on our own. Good friends will do that because Jesus can give us grace and heal broken hearts and give us hope and helplessness. And so we need to point lost people to Jesus and bring them to Jesus. But we also need to continually bring other believers back to our first love so that we never forget what our first love is. Iron sharpens iron and we need to continually be doing that. And not let any obstacle stop us. There should be no obstacle that is too great to help us or to uh, prohibit us from, A, getting ourselves to Jesus, B, helping other people get to Jesus. Um, Ripping the roof off something, that's pretty extreme. I think this story is in here because Jesus wants us to understand there should be no obstacles. Building codes should not get in the way. Rip off. They don't have a building permit to rip that off. They just did it. There should be no anything pride, physical buildings, anything that should prohibit you from taking someone to Jesus when they need to be at Jesus' feet. So we've got the paralyzed man and the friends. And then we've got the scribes. This is, um, this is not necessarily the most positive example of a response to Jesus' authority. Jesus says, I forgive sins. And I can do that. And so you know I can do that. I'll heal the man. So the paralyzed man got brought and he got healed. Couldn't get there on his own. His friends brought him. His friends were the good friends, and they brought him, okay? And they got to witness this great miracle and rejoice in what was going on in the life of their friend. But then the scribes, when it comes to the authority of Jesus, they question it, and they're bitter, and they're angry, and they doubt. And they don't just doubt in the sense of, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to question sometimes, you know? As you mature in faith and as you learn as you grow, you're going to read scriptures and you're going to go, I, I don't know how that works out in my life, or I don't understand And that's okay. Jesus works with doubters. When he was meeting with Thomas, he goes, I see that you're doubting. Here, touch and see. I'm working with you. I want you to believe. These aren't those kind of doubters. These are the kind of people that say, I know what's best for me in the world around me, and therefore it's me, 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 and our, 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 not Jesus, 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 and that's idolatry and inappropriate. And so these um, super extra smart holy people missed the boat, literally, on everything that Jesus was talking about. And so they stood in the corner, and they crossed their arms when Jesus was doing these great miracles, and they had these bitter faces on Now, the people of that day trusted and looked to these scribes because they were the ones that taught them about God, and they were the ones that gave them wisdom and information about the scriptures. And so they had their arms crossed, and so some of the crowd would be looking to these scribes who were going, Jesus shouldn't be doing that. That's not how church should be. This is not right at all. It's the wrong color of the walls. They should have torn that building down separately. And and so it's that voice of discouragement. 
the scribes miss the boat, and in doing so, they're leading other people away from Jesus. They're allowing themselves to sow disunity and discord in the moment of something that is amazing, a fantastic, spontaneous worship service where healings are occurring and people are being forgiven of their sin, um, and they're standing off on the corner going, this isn't right, I don't like this, this disrupts everything I like and am comfortable with. And in doing so, um, they're A, exalting themselves over God, and B, um, wanting to lead others in that same fashion. Um, They don't respect the authority that Jesus has. Even when Jesus proved he could do it, um, they were still, I don't don't like this guy, because ultimately this group of scribes and Pharisees would find a way to have Jesus betrayed and hung on a cross for our sins. They, They considered him in the way of their life. They wanted nothing to do with him and his miracles. And then we've got the crowd, like this great crowd of people who imagine all of the great things that Jesus is doing and they're witnessing him and they're kind of like Jesus groupies and a lot of them were. They would follow from town to town Jesus, the roadies, on the trip with him and they would watch what he did day in and day out and experience. And so I can only imagine what happened when this man gets lowered and people are pointing and laughing because what's going on and the man gets lowered and then you can tell Jesus like, okay, hold on. See your faith, your sins are forgiven, and then the scribes do their little, and Jesus addresses them. I know what you're doing in your heart, <laughs> um, and uh, it's incorrect, so, so you know that I'm God, and I can do this. Get up and walk, and I imagine it's really dead silent at that point, because Jesus and the Pharisees had this little tension going on, and then the man gets up and walks, and the people part, and all of a sudden, the guy who's always been paralyzed in that town is now walking out the door, and the crowd, I imagine, is just going to erupt in joyous screams and praising God and all this kind of stuff because something amazing happened at the feet of Jesus. We're in a man who could not walk, now can walk, and he was overjoyed, and he was wandering down the, I can walk, I can walk, it's amazing, look at what God did, Jesus healed me. Not only are my sins are forgiven, but I can walk, I can work, I can hug my kids, I can um, do all these things I've never been able to do. Jesus healed me, Jesus healed me, because he, um, according to... Uh, was it Luke, Uh, he went out praising God. And so he was spreading that praise as he went out the great doors. So the crowd was very excited about what was going on. Praise God, this is very exciting. He healed this man, which would only fuel the fire for Jesus to have more miracles. I imagine people from that point on were like, well, if they can let him in through the ceiling, we're going to do all kinds of things to get our people to Jesus because I want that too. And so there was this excitement in the crowd. Um, the stories that we've read the past couple weeks ask the question, who is this man? Calms the storms and the seas. The disciples in that epic had no idea. They're like, we don't know who this man is. We're the ones asking the questions. Who is this man? We don't get this Jesus who can calm the storms and the seas. And then he meets the two demon-possessed men, and they knew exactly who he was. They didn't even have to ask the question, who are you? They just said, you're the son of God. And then we've got this crowd who sees what's going on. And um, when the disciples weren't sure who Jesus was, and um, the demons recognized who he was, and the whole region of Gadar, that city where he met the two demon-possessed folks, um, saw his miracle and sent him away. This house, with a population from Judea, Galilee, all of the surrounding areas, saw what he did. They said, yep, this is God. He's got authority. We're going to worship him. 
We like this guy. He's good for our life and our soul, and we're going to worship him. And I imagine there was something very exciting about that because in every single account, despite all of the you know, details that get different, when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck. The physical condition is secondary. In Jewish culture, um, they equated sin and physical health side by side. You had a problem, no eyeballs, you or your parents sin. You can't walk, what do you do? You got leprosy, dirty, shameful sinner. That's how they viewed life. Imagine if we lived life like that today. I mean, that'd be horrible. There was this equation of, you've got a physical problem, you're sick, you have done something to deserve that. We don't believe in karma in the Christian world, okay? So don't work like that. But we do live in a world that has fallen, there is sin and illness. Jesus can heal all of those things. But what Jesus is saying here is, listen, the need that you think that you have, that is the most pressing need you cannot walk is not your most pressing need. Your most pressing need is that you receive forgiveness of your sins because I want you to have eternal life. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to be in fellowship with me. I want you to be able to walk. But um, if you never were to walk, I want you to be praising me and in relationship with me. Jesus cares primarily for your spiritual, secondarily for your physical. Um... Sometimes it's hard to wrap our brains around. We'll get into that in some other messages to the book of Matthew. Uh, but suffice it to say, uh, God wants you to be healed from your sins. He wants you to know who you are in relationship with Him. The physical things, um, He works on those. Sometimes over the long course of the time, and sometimes over a short course of the time. But that's His prerogative when He does those things. His primary concern that He offers freely without question Forgiveness of sin. So, um, what about you? What do you connect with this morning? What did you hear about and go, yeah, I feel a little bit like this guy and a little bit like that guy? Maybe you feel like a paralyzed person. In fear or disbelief or past hurts from a religion or a church. Um, maybe people have to drag you kicking and screaming to church. Maybe you look great on the outside, but on the inside you just don't have any relationship with God. You're paralyzed. For whatever reason, you're paralyzed. Maybe you relate with the friends. You stop, you're the obnoxious one. You stop at nothing to get your friends to come to church. You're the one that's constantly saying, you want to come to church with me? want to come to church with me? want to come to church with me? So much so that they're like, oh, fine, I'll go. If you'll just please be quiet about it. Okay? Um, maybe you're a friend who has a friend who has a need. And so you just come alongside of them and love on them and say, let me pray with you about this. Whether or not they're a believer, people want to know that they're being taken care of spiritually and relationally. And so maybe you're just the kind of person who says, let me come along with you and help you out and pray with you. I know maybe you don't believe in Jesus, but I'll pray to Jesus and we'll see what he will do in your life. Maybe you relate with a friend. Maybe you are both paralyzed and a friend. Your own spiritual walk, you're struggling. But you're really great at reaching out and bringing other people in. Maybe you're one of the scribes. You stand in the background and you go, mm-hmm. that's not how it's supposed to work. That's not how church is supposed to be. 
Jesus doesn't work like that. I don't like this. I'll go find another church. I don't like this. I'll go find another church. Scribes play out in different ways in our culture. Maybe you're the crowd, though. Maybe you're watching, but you're not like being engaged. You're seeing it, but you're not hands-on experiencing it. You, you want to you wanna test the waters. You want to see, is this Jesus all he cracked up to be? Can he really do what he claims he can do? Is he going to let me down like everyone else has let me down? Am I going to get hurt if I commit? I'll stand in the back row and just watch. I'm really excited when great things happen, but I'm not ready to commit myself. Step the next row up. Okay, now this is kind of getting, I'll sit in the middle of the row. And I don't want to be too close because I don't want to accidentally get involved. Sometimes we're the crowd. We can be a layered effect of this in our own life, and depending on the seasons of our lives, sometimes we are one or the other more so. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter who you connect with the most in this story, but we need to allow God to speak into our life. Regardless of which one you connect with, Jesus wants to speak to all of them. Jesus uh, has a plan for every single one of us. He invites people to connect with him all the time. You read the Bible and Jesus is like, hey, come see what I'm doing. 5,000 people? Sure, I'll feed you. No big deal. You got this covered? Just come hang out with me. I want to tell you a little bit about my Father's kingdom. It's great. Just come and see. Be part of the crowd for a while. Just come and see. Eventually, you know, hopefully you'll like to share a meal with me and eventually, you know, you'll like to follow me. But for now, just come and see is what Jesus says. He just invites you to experience and participate. And oftentimes he does it over a meal because you cannot build a relationship with people when you share a meal with people. Was anyone ever self-conscious about eating in front of people? You little messy eater, uh, a few nods, okay, no handshakes, no, no hands. Okay, so you become vulnerable over a meal with people because suddenly you realize, oh, my elbow's on the table, that's kind of a bad habit. Or you, you know, you, you shovel, I shovel, so if you eat with me and I'm not watching myself, it's like, ah, you know, like the beast from Beauty and the Beast. And, um, and so when you share a meal with people, you get to see kind of a side of them that they don't ordinarily show. You become a little more transparent, and as your walls come down, you start to talk about a lot. So relationship builds over meals, which is why Jesus did a lot of things over meals. Um, Jesus did this great thing when he invited people to participate in life with him over the course of a meal. Uh, he says it doesn't matter if you relate with a paralyzed man. It doesn't matter if you relate with friends or if you relate with the scribes or if you relate with the crowd. Or even in this moment, if you're standing back going, I don't want to be part of the crowd. I want to be the crowd outside the crowd. I want to just witness all of this happening and see what happens. Jesus did something absolutely fantastic for us. And that when we were all paralyzed in our sins, and some of us still are, um, having not yet trusted in Christ, when we were all paralyzed in our sins and we couldn't get to God on our own, Jesus came to earth, born of a virgin, grew up, lived a sinless life, perfect and holy, so that he could be betrayed by his best friend, go to the cross, willingly die on the cross for our sins, die, be buried, come on out the other side of death. Um, as I heard at um, District Assembly, he literally punched a hole through death and came out the other side, okay? And then grants us that pathway as well, through death into eternal life. Because we couldn't do it on our own. So he saw that we were paralyzed. He said, I want to be a good friend to the people who don't know or can't get to me. 
I'm going to do everything I can, including give my own life, so that people can come and partake in the life in which I offer them. So Jesus entered into human history, lived, died, and rose so that he could break through our sin, the world, and the doors of heaven and grant us access to something far more tangible than we could ever understand. What we think is our greatest need is not. Our greatest need is Jesus. We need to bring all of our needs to him, lamb at the feet. But our greatest need is Jesus. And if you're not a believer, your greatest need is Jesus to forgive you from your sins. If you are a believer, your greatest need is Jesus to forgive you from your sins and to enable you to live a life that's holy before him. Jesus is all about inviting people to come and experience that with him. Often over a meal, often through conversation. Now stick this card up here because we've got a prayer wall in the back. We communicate with God by talking, just like we talk with anyone else. It's how we build a relationship with people, it's how we build a relationship with God. We call it prayer. One of the things that we've got going in this church is a prayer wall. If you want to pray about something, talk to God about something, bring something to the feet of Jesus, you can do it from your seat, you can do it from the front, you can do it from the back, you can do it quietly, you can do it loudly, you can write it on a piece of paper. But what you need to know is if you put it on that prayer wall, anonymously or not, we'll put sticker dots on it. Because we want to be good friends, and we want to bring your prayer request to the Lord. Every time we pray for you, we put a colored dot on your paper so that you can see people are carrying my stuff to God. When you are paralyzed and it's all you can do to stick that on there, know that we're going to pray for you and you'll get to see it when those dots start to add up. I would encourage you today, put something on the prayer wall. Take it before God and allow us to help pray you through whatever you're going on. And honestly, you're not. We don't have to know your name. That's okay. Um, but we'll pray for you. And then... We'll move it to the prayers and the answers section, which is getting kind of full, and I like that. So um, God answers our prayers as we are faithfully bringing people to the Lord. The other way that God builds a relationship is through a meal. And a long time ago, Jesus had a meal with his disciples, um, and it was it was a very special meal. It was a meal that commemorated Passover, which happened way back in the day of the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt. And Jesus, uh, God was about to set them free from slavery in Egypt. And he sent Moses to talk to Pharaoh. And you might be familiar with the story of the ten plagues. And the last of which is the death of the firstborn son. And God said, listen, Israel, uh, you're my chosen people. I'm going to do a great work in you. But I'm going to send this last plague. And it's going to apply to every household in this nation. Except... Those that heed my voice, take a spotless lamb, slaughter it, and take the blood of that lamb, paint it over the doorpost. So that when my angel of death passes over the houses of Israel and Egypt, he will take care of the firstborn in every single house in Egypt that does not have the blood. That house will have some dies. The house that has the blood will be passed over because that lamb died instead of that child. That lamb died instead of the firstborn. And so Israel would practice this Passover meal yearly. Remembering that God passed over the judgment, passed over their houses, and onto the lamb instead. Well, as Jesus gathered his disciples many years down in history, he uh, sat down for this Passover meal, and it was the night he was betrayed. And... Uh, he told his disciples the story of Passover. 
And then he said, I want you to understand it in a new way. Because Passover is going to have a new meaning now. We are all in sin, is what Jesus said. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And wrath of sin falls, uh, death is the punishment for sin, according to the scriptures. So there must be death for sin. As in Israel's day, the blood of the Lamb took care of that. Today, Jesus said, it's going to be me. Die on the cross, I'm going to be that spotless Lamb. And he instituted Passover meal, this Lord's Supper, which we'll partake of today, um, to say, when you do this, I want you not necessarily to remember Egypt, though that's part of your history, but I want this meal to have a new meaning. I want this meal to have a personal meaning to you, wherein you go, Jesus died and God passed over me because he saw Jesus' death. So when you take the cup and the bread, you remember what Jesus did, passing over you and You've applied the blood of the Lamb and the body of the Lamb to your own life. Now, Jesus uses this meal to fellowship with his disciples one last time before he's betrayed. He really loved his disciples. He said, I'm not going to partake in this until much later. And he really wanted that encouragement of his friends in those last moments. He wanted his friends to pray with him and go to the Father with him and encourage him in those last moments. He wanted to share a meal with his disciples. One of the beauties about this meal is that we take it as believers uh, because we say, I believe that Jesus' blood and broken body paid the penalty for my sin so that God's wrath passed over me and I have forgiveness of sins. He has the authority to forgive sins in my life. But this meal is also an invitational kind of meal wherein Jesus would say, come and partake for the first time. For the first time, claim that these things apply to you. Jesus would say, if you've never believed, then come and believe. And this is an opportunity for you to believe. Some churches will say, you can't partake unless you're a member. And some churches will say, you can't partake unless you've already become a Christian. And I think Jesus would say, I want people to know who I am, and I want people to share a meal with me. So if this is the way that you would do that the first time, then come and partake for the first time and say, I don't understand it. I'm not theologically minded. This is simply blind faith. I don't want to be part of the crowd. I want to be... The man that gets healed. And then partake. And that is a good way to begin a relationship with Jesus. We're going to partake in this meal today. Um, and uh, I think it's just going to be, uh, you know, file up and I'll hold it. And you guys can uh, can come up and take it one at a time as you, as you desire. But I want to read to you just a little bit of scripture first. And then if you will hold your cup and your bread, we'll partake together as one body says this in Corinthians, that Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. So when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup after supper and he said, this is the cup of my blood. Do this and as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So by taking in this cup and bread, you're saying, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he has the authority to heal me from that and to do whatever he wants with the rest of my life. And so as we come and partake, and have some soft music playing, you guys can come and receive the elements, and then we'll pray together, take the elements together as a, as a group of people who say, we believe that Jesus has the authority not just to handle the genie in a request, you know, the genie in a bottle requests, 
but that he has the authority to take care of the greatest needs that we could possibly have. And that's the forgiveness of our sins. So if you have something that Jesus can deal with this morning, I would encourage you to listen to the word of God um, and come and partake. He invites you to come share it with him. Come as you will. Today can be the day that you are no longer paralyzed, but walk through the crowd and say, God has done amazing things in my life. If you are that person this morning, in any way, shape, and form in which God has worked, please let me know before you leave, because I want to pray with you, I want to help you in the ways that you might help, the way our church can help you, whatever we can do, we want to encourage you. We want to be good friends to you. We want to celebrate with you, like the crowd celebrates. Here is the benediction for you all. Run out of this house with joy, like the man who was paralyzed but was no longer. It was not his body he was happy about, it was his soul. Amen? Amen. Amen.